Highmark Capital is a new Charleston-based venture fund launched by Herbert Drayton III. Over the past 15 years, Herbert has founded, bought, and sold a dozen companies in the software, healthcare, IT, and training sectors. The aim of his latest venture, Highmark Capital, is to raise a $15 million fund for black, brown, and women-owned businesses, an ownership group that is underrepresented in the Southeast, in part because of challenges accessing capital. Welcome to the Who's on the Move podcast, where we highlight entrepreneurs, executive directors of nonprofits and artists, people who are making an impact in our communities. This series on entrepreneurs is made possible with the support of NP Strategy, a strategic communications team that helps businesses solve problems, build partnerships, renew their brands, as well as launch new ventures, and the Charleston chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization, which is part of a global business network of 14,000 plus leading entrepreneurs in 193 chapters and 60 countries. Herbert, what is the goal of Highmark Capital? Uh, our goal is to um, invest in blacks, women, and other underrepresented or underserved minorities in the Southeast region. Before we dive into talking about Highmark Capital, tell us about your background and education. Born here, the only time I left was um, when I did my six years in the Marine Corps Reserves, and of course my four years in the United States Air Force. Spent a lot of time working at uh, Roper St. Francis Healthcare System. Uh, my first job there was uh, as a painter's helper, making $3.83 an hour. And, and now that's, that's actually come full circle. I'm now a, on the board of the Roper St. Francis Foundation and St. Francis Healthcare, uh, St. Francis Hospital board as well. But I had 12 jobs at Roper. Uh, that painter's helper was the first one, the last one was director of IT operations. Um, through all of those times, uh, the education wasn't a traditional one. Uh, most of my education was, was done online, spent some time at Trident Technical College, uh, a semester at um, College of Charleston, uh, but got an associate's degree and, and a bachelor's degree, and just d did a lot of reading. You know, I, I love to listen to business interviews, um, CNBC and, and Bloomberg are, are where I get a lot of my education on business. And um, just leaning into opportunities where, you know, one of my goals was to find someone who was a master at their craft, but not necessarily that great at business and partner with those folks. Um, and and I, I did that with uh, three or four companies where I was brought in to renovate the company. And as a result of it, folks gave me a significant equity position in those businesses as well. The focus of this series is obviously on entrepreneurship. Did you come to entrepreneurship early or late in life? I, I think it happened early when I read a book called uh, Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun by Reginald Lewis many, many years ago. And, and from there, ideas begin to percolate while you're working, while you're an employee working for someone. And then, you know, this, this, this thing hits you where you say, well, I can do his or her job, that's your supervisor's job. And then you begin to progress through the organization, realize that the, the more you progress, the greater the autonomy you have. So then the ideas become even more meaningful and much more expansive. And then you go from, I can do his or her, jo his or her job to, I can run my own company because you've got all these ideas. And then you begin to lean into those ideas, their side gigs. Um, then you look for opportunities where you can 
sort of flex your entrepreneurial muscles. Um, and this happened, you know, maybe 20 years ago. And um, over the past decade and a half, I have started, bought, and sold about a dozen companies. As you started into entrepreneurship, was there an early success story that helped build your confidence? I, I think the first win came early on when I got out of the Air Force. And um, I had some really great technical training uh, when I was in the Air Force, worked on uh, systems designed to test and calibrate fighter jets. Did that overseas in, in Portugal. And I came back to work in what's called the biomedical department at a local healthcare system. And when I got there, I realized that um, the, the talent that existed, um, I could do the job better. And I said to myself, I'm going to be running this place in five years. Well, I got promoted and I was managing the, uh, was the lead tech within six months. So that was the first big win. And then probably about eight, 10 years later, uh, another big win was that when they uh, asked me to be the Y2K project manager, and it was my first $24 million project, and um, did that, came in under budget, and it was very successful. When and why did you start the new venture, Highmark Capital? Highmark Capital uh, came about last year following George Floyd's death. A lot of colleagues reached out to me and asked me what can they do for the black community? How can they lean in? And what I asked them to do was to not lean into more programs in the black community. Uh, the way to really solve this problem is through economic elevation um, uh, of the black community. That means finding not only capital to commit to black-owned businesses, but wraparound services as well. Uh, so often, just, just I, I went through this journey as well, where as an entrepreneur, you believe that if you had enough money, you could be your own CPA, you could be your own marketing director, uh, you could be your own HR director. Those are areas where entrepreneurs trip up because that's not in their lane. Um, part of what Highmark Capital will do is we will identify, we will provide capital as well as all of those wraparound services as well so that the entrepreneur can focus on being successful in what they do. How do you execute on the vision and mission of Highmark Capital? Well, it, it, it's, as, as I said earlier, it's reaching out to, um, I, I would say, institutions who have um, been a part of the systemic problems that have existed in the, in the black community and with women entrepreneurs and with other minorities. Um, you know, banks may want to lend to individuals, but you need collateral to get those resources. And, you know, historically, we, this community does not have the resources necessary to uh, get a loan of a significant amount to move the needle with their business. Uh, so I'm, I'm having conversations with, with banks, major ba regional banks, and, and we just recently landed on the Community Reinvestment Act of their business, and that act uh, requires banks to um, lend itself to providing resources to, um, that are geared toward community development. And typically you'll find this around housing and education, uh, but the blind spot has been moving some of those resources into these small businesses. Um, and the, we're not, uh, you're going to get market rate returns, but when you talk about impact investing, you're going to take an individual who may be making $40,000 as an employee, and you turn them into an employer who then becomes a philanthropist who then becomes an investor in small businesses along the way. How is it going so far at Highmark Capital? What has been your focus to date? 
Yeah, I, I think the needle's being moved forward in, in a number of areas. Um, one, uh, the team that I've assembled. Uh, the got a great advisory team, um, got a seasoned uh, venture capital firm and good growth capital. They've agreed to partner with me um, in, in this venture. And what they bring to the table is all the, the fund administration and, and they mitigate a lot of the risk that uh, banks and other investors will look to because the question they're going to ask is, well, when have you, have you done this before? Now, I haven't done this thing, but I have lived experience and I understand what the entrepreneurs are going to. So, so Good Growth Capital brings all that fund administration experience to, to bear. Um, I've got about a dozen industry advisors, and more importantly, I've identified 25 uh, companies that need investment now. Uh, so they've gone through the due diligence process. They need investment now. And I'm talking with um, six banks, uh, two family offices, and, and also a, um, a couple of high net worth individuals. And the thing that I found is that most, most folks will invest with people they know. They'll invest in things that they like or understand. That's a very narrow space to gain traction when something's new and innovative. And that's what this is right now. It's new and it's innovative. So the, the getting to yes may take a little bit longer, but because the conversations are ongoing and, and they're, they're moving the needle forward, I think that's a positive thing right now as well. Why does the work at Highmark Capital matter? It's about closing the wealth gap. Uh, you know, when we've got, when the, the, the blacks in the community and, and the women and the other minorities, when they have access to resources, that's great. Their bank accounts may grow, their investment portfolio may grow, but now their children can go to a high school, go to, go to a better college. Now their children has a mentor that they could look up to when they're thinking, I want to start my own business. Someone's near to them, someone's proximate to them that they see success and they can lean on that success. And more importantly, where wealth exists, that there's a blind spot where that wealth exists, uh, we need to create more successful pods so that when uh, investors or institutions look to lean into this community, it's not so foreign anymore. They've got too many examples to say, no, it doesn't exist. Herbert, in one word, tell us what is the key to success for an entrepreneur? You know, I, the one word would be the calculus, all right? And then, but the elements of that calculus are courage, competence, and confidence. And that gives you that calculus. Entrepreneurs have an uncanny ability to marshal those three elements in to get the outcome that they need. And, and, and sometimes we're wrong, you know, if, if it's, but, but it doesn't mean that that thing failed. You, you look at that and ask yourself, what is the lesson that you learned in that? And two of the lessons that I take with me and I share with everyone else is that if, and a colleague told me this many years ago, if you hire the right person in a leadership or management role, 80% of your work is behind you. If you hire the wrong person, 80% of your work is ahead of you. And then the, the other component to that is you should pay attention to what the people and, capital A-N-D, data is telling you. It has to be passion, but mostly it has to be a dispassionate approach when you're making decisions about your business. 
What is your favorite business book? You, the one that continues to resonate with me, and it, it's a constant thread, it's um, Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun? <laughs> you know, it's, it's the story of Reginald Lewis. Uh, he um, was uh, probably the first black CEO of a Fortune 500 company, Beatrice Foods. Um, that, that his journey was tremendous, and he unfortunately died of a brain tumor. Uh, but that story, it's, it's it, you know, it's, I'm not going to compare it to uh, the, the Bible or anything, but you pick your best business books. I mean, uh, I can think of a Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence, you know, folks. Um, that to me, uh, why should white guys have all, and it's not a racist book. It's just him saying, you know, well, here's how the game is played. We need to play the game the, the way that, I mean, this is the field, the, these are the rules. Let's play the game the way it's designed to be played and lean into it. You know, you can be black, blue, green, yellow, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And finally, maybe to wrap up, outside of Highmark Capital, tell us a little about you personally. What are some of your interests and passions outside of business? There, there are a couple of things that, that I do. Um, one is I'm moving into the, um, I'll be the chair of uh, Coastal Community Foundation. I, I'm going to lean into that. And, and you know, I, I will add that when, when people wonder if this area is ready for, the, this region is ready for, you know, black entrepreneurs, women entrepreneurs, and other minorities, you know, I, I ask them to look at, look at Darren Goss, chair of Coastal Community Foundation, look at Anthony Jackson, he's the COO of Roper St. Francis Healthcare. Look at Joan Robinson Berry. She was a, a female that was the VP and general manager of the plant, of the Boeing plant. All black, all bright. I, you know, I, I'm encouraged by the change, the, the change that I see. I see what the community um, can still offer without telling the community it owes me something. So my free time is spent understanding the, that landscape, uh, working with Coastal Community Foundation. Uh, I serve on the Palmetto uh, Goodwill Board. I work with uh, Charleston Southern University, the business school, I'm on their advisory board. Uh, 180 Place, I'm, I'm still a board member there with the homelessness. So those, those my, my passions, I, I get to lean into in a meaningful way. I do wake up at four o'clock in the morning. I'm in the gym by 5.30. Uh, and you know, that's, that's a seven day regimen that um, I, you know, on the weekend particularly, I get to meditate on the treadmill and, um, you know, and, and, and with the weights in the gym.